You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Say hello to my little friend. To infinity and beyond. Like tears in rain. On Wednesdays we wear pink. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Tears looking at you, kid. You talking to me? You're gonna need a bigger boat. You'll always have Paris. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Films and Friends. My name's Josh. I'm joined as ever by Tobias. Hey, good morning. And we are joined by our, I think it's fourth friend, in inverted commas, it's Zona. Hello. So, as we always like to start the podcasts, and sort of to break from tradition here, because you know me and not Tobias, after the run of all of his friends, <laughs> finally, <laughs> girlfriends slash relatives, how do you know me? I am Josh's friend, <laughs> in inverted commas. That's good enough for me. <laughs> Brilliant. So, moving on from that, Zona, um... What, what do you do? What's your occupation? Um, my occupation is genetic student, uh, currently second year, and a part-time worker in the Chaff Centre, which is very thrilling. <laughs> there we go. The highs and lows of a student life oh, summarised yeah. in two parts of it. Mm. Where do you work in the Chaff Centre? I work at a shop called Typo, which is fantastic, and I can get you 50% discount if you come and quote the podcast name to me. If you, oh, if you go to typo in the traffic centre <laughs> and if you use the code Film and Friends ten, you can get fifty percent off. Stationery, isn't it? And other uh, knickknacks. Stationery, other knickknacks. That is perfect for Secret Santa, seeing as that's the mm. what's coming up now for most people. Hey, there we go. We got the plug going. Is there any oh, film, yeah. Are there any film-related things you can buy there? Uh, we've got a lot of Harry Potter stuff in. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't make that noise. <laughs> I'll be offended. Um, yeah, just lots of like little things. Uh, yesterday we got people with like little mixed t-shirts buying stuff with friends on them. If you like the TV show Friends, there's like turkey slippers, all sorts of things, basically. That's very exciting. I know, it is thrilling. You did ask me. I did ask you, yeah. <laughs> and here's a question. What is the weirdest piece of kind of film memorabilia or like random film-based tats you own. <laughs> I'm gonna have to think about that. I mean, something that's not really weird, but very much an investment. Um, for my 19th birthday, my grandmother gave me a £40 Waterstones voucher. And instead of going out and buying a couple books, I spent 40 quid on the Blade Runner 2049 art book, Ooh. which is bloody huge. And when I went to order it, they said, ah, yes, this... um." been out of print for about two months and probably won't be in print for a while so mm. we need to contact the factory and get it specially printed out for you so uh yeah i i basically got almost a custom order mm. of um of the blade runner book or the t-shirt i'm wearing right now mm. this halloween um japanese inspired shirt is made by a guy called creep illusion on instagram he's from indonesia and he only makes 24 Max, so he only allows 24 orders of every design that he makes. They're only on sale for like a week mm. and they take forever to print because he actually has to, you know, source the shirts, go to his mate's print shop, get them done. So there are probably only about 10 of these t-shirts in existence. I think my one probably is a t-shirt as well. I've got a House Cards t-shirt that says Underwood Underwood 2016, which is all fun and games until it became problematic to wear. <laughs> But thankfully, because it was really cheap, and I have I had it for like four years now, it's basically faded off. So you can't really see what it says. 
Alright, so it could be a Hillary 2016 one. Yeah, you can, I, can, I, can, I can get away with wearing it, but then I, sometimes I think, should I really be doing this? Do you own any weird film memorabilia? I collected a lot of Marvel stuff back in the day. I think that you've seen a photo of me wearing an Iron Man mask from the ripe old age of 13 mm. that I took very proudly took a selfie in and put on my little fan Twitter account I had back then. Yeah, I'm not proud of that moment. But yeah, I like, had a lot of Marvel stuff I sort of collected that my parents weren't really happy with. You didn't collect those Funko Pop things, did you? No, I mean, cause I didn't have enough, m- enough money for that one. So, oh, I hate uh, those things so much. See, really? that's the thing with Funko Pops. I think some of them are a bit cool because it's like, oh, hey, I kind of like this character. And then you realise every single film and TV show in existence is going to have a Funko Pop mm. eventually. And they are so expensive. Some of them are quite nicely done. Like, some, like if you have kind of like weird shapes, they're quite nice. But some of them are literally just like if you have like, all the doctors, they're just the same shape, just with different clothes and hair. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are just so boring. The cool one that my brother had, um, he got himself um, the Black Knight from Monty Python uh-huh. and the uh, Quest for the Holy Grail. And that one, you open it up. And it comes in that plastic casing. And you pull out the Funko Pop and you realise his arms aren't attached. <laughs> so you've got these two arms lying about. It's, that one's a bit of a fun one. So those ones, like the conceptually interesting ones, are quite cool. But that's just the ones that are just like... Also, you can get some really bizarrely banal ones like that aren't like relevant to anything. But yeah, to get back to films, so the first question we always like to start with, sort of start with the high points of your film enjoyment career, mm. is what are your, some of your favourite films, actors... Writers, directors? Favourite directors, definitely Wes Anderson and David Fincher. I love a good Anderson film. Um, bit, I, I really like stuff when it's like lined up and perfect, and just Wes Anderson films are perfect for that. It just makes me so happy. Like They could be saying something I don't understand, but I can just look at him and just feel happy and content watching it. David Fincher does make really interesting films. Gone Girl is one of my favourite films of all time, uh, just because of um, the main character. She's just, it's such like... It's a, it's a, it's a very interesting view of relationships and how women change to a, like the, to their a partner and how she has the cool girl monologue, which is my favorite monologues of all time. I find it quite applicable how I change to different people when I'm with with them. Um, Mindy Kaling, I she she does more TV than film, but she did last night recently with Emma Thompson, and that I found that very good. Uh, it, it it wasn't. Consistently amazing, but um, just seeing a South Asian woman like in in cinema is—I just find it very rewarding, even if it's terrible. Yeah, the the um, late night. Mm. Um, I I was a bit cynical about it because um, I watched it. It was my fourth film of the day on mm. the second day of Sundance London. So I've been sitting in a cinema since nine a.m. and I was like, right, I'm going to watch. No, it wasn't my fourth, third film, and I was like, right, I got to get through this film and watch. Um, another film I could do this and I sat down and it was the film that had the largest audience for some reason there was there was a lot of press at the festival there must have mm. been about 50 um, journalists or whatever and for some films there were like four people mm. and for this one there was there, there must have been 50 and maybe more some people definitely brought someone else in <laughs> it was like just a chance to see a, a list film for like covered in a press pass and I, know, I was a bit cynical about it I thought it was just a bit okay but um, but looking back on it I think that because it was consistently good yeah. and the fact that it did so much for um, all sorts of different levels of representation it was yeah. such a solid film to come out at such a poignant moment 
I I just really love it when I have South Asian women represented in cinema. I I watched the Darjeeling Express a few months ago, and whilst it was a bit, you know, hmm, with the Indian women representation, I just I just loved seeing her in the film with like these big A list A list names, even though it was a bit iffy with that. I think what you struck on at the beginning there with talking about Wes Anderson is something that's very it's a very difficult thing to kind of reconcile in some ways in that he's got such a distinct visual style mm-hmm. and his films are so visually rewarding that there would be there probably would be people who would say oh well surely that could take away from the sort of his writing style and mm-hmm. the sort of plot of the films but I don't think it does I think he manages to perfectly balance sort of like and obviously he does spend obviously spends a lot of time crafting his um his sets sort of, was a mise en place isn't it sort of to, yeah. to a perfect level with all the color and all that kind of stuff but i think he still manages to balance that perfectly with like narrative because there's, there's a big danger and i've seen a lot this it's quite done quite like an animation when a, when a person's put a lot of time and effort into an animation there's definitely a very clear danger of getting into like a style of substance thing mm. but i think wes anderson probably is one of his biggest achievements is avoiding that yeah wes anderson does manage to fit that kind of renaissance man idea of a filmmaker that can do everything at once and what one of the films that uh, had more visual style than uh, storytelling according to a friend of mine I disagreed with him on it was um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse they were saying that um, they thought that it just wasn't well written that sure it looked pretty but it was just a bit eclectic and all over the place and I was like that is kind of the point Though. I was going to say, yeah, that, I'm pretty sure that's pretty much the entire point of the film. Like, the whole point of the fact they have so many different animation styles and the characters are so radically different yeah. is because you are combining a multiverse mm. and like, they're not supposed to be the same. That film was consistently amazing, mostly because, uh, as Josh knows, my love for John Mulaney, who as Spider-Ham was so good. Um, but yeah, like that, that's one of my favourite films of the year, probably. Like It was just amazing. You leave cinema like, oh my God, that like there wasn't a single thing that I was like oh no maybe not apart from that one part where I think it's uh, Wilson Fisk is very strong and I'm not really sure why that's I... the kind of weird thing about <laughs> Wilson Fisk he's supposed to be strong for just because yeah just confusing but it, yeah it was definitely one of the best films of the year mm. and um, it's just the way I described it was um, consistently fresh yeah every single scene was like this is something new this is something um that maybe has been done before but they're doing it in such a special way and my favorite like fact that i learned after watching it and made me want to revisit uh the film is that miles when he is in the spider-man suit for the beginning of for like maybe the first i'm gonna say 60 percent of the film he is um drawn a lower frame rate than um, Peter Parker is. And as he um, becomes more confident with his abilities as Spider-Man, his frame rate has increased. So instead of being like this kind of like janky, um, almost like a really, really quick slideshow character, he becomes this fluid, confident um, superhero. Yeah, genius film. Those are one of the things that is sort of, as I sort of, I do enjoy harping on about um, animation to quite a big extent. But I think that is one of the things that sort of is very special about animation is the fact you can get so many like little in jokes in. 
Mm. So like the film I watched this week, so I went to the Manchester Animation Festival to watch a film called uh, Ruben Brandt Collector, and it was it was a um, it's a Hungarian animation, and it's about basically a, a man who is a psychotherapist who's obsessed with art, and he keeps having nightmares about pe- paintings physically killing him. So he assembles a team of art thieves to steal the paintings because if you own it, you can't be scared of it. That's and sounds so cool. And the mm. film is honestly like when I was watching it. Obviously, the film is basically it rewards you. The, the more art knowledge you have, the more it rewards you because there are so many subtle in jokes. Like I was watching it, thinking I can see so many things there. And when I got home, I watched a YouTube video about it, and someone broke it down. It's like um like. I'm not the biggest art lover in the world. I can see I'm fairly, I'm fairly all right with the big like so the, like the artworks that were stolen. They are fairly recognisable. Of course, like an Andy Warhol or like a um, I'm trying to think of another example, but anyway, I could yeah I, I sort of recognised some of them. But then when you actually really break it down, like what the paintings actually mean, it was unbelievable. Kind of like the style. I think it got it said I think I read online it took the guy like 13 years to make it. No way. So I think he literally drew it all himself. Which is just crazy when you think about it, but yeah, I think that's one of the things I like about animation is the fact you can go to such an extent mm. to try to um, make it sort of as visually stunning and visually rewarding for the audience as possible. I mean, it's not really a film, but Bojack Horseman does a similar thing. But even if you ignore what's happening with the main characters, if you look in the back where there's little, little Hollywood animal-themed puns in every single thing, it's genuinely amazing. I think they had this one, they had Andrew Garfield and he just ate lasagna all the time. Like, he'd be in the back of the scene and you'd you see him, like, eating lasagna. And no one was going to notice it, like, unless you watched it, like, four times, which I did. But, yeah, it was consistently very good. And that's what I love about animation. You can just have the little things, but people wouldn't notice, like, the fourth viewing. Instead of The Simpsons, I think there's a really long YouTube video you can watch online that's something called, like, Simpsons Visual Gags That You Missed. Yeah. And it's literally just uh, from the beginning of the series, just one after the other, just everything you think. Like, like when I was a kid, I used to watch it on Channel 4 all the time, so I've seen some Simpsons episode probably in excess of eight times, and I still never got it. Mm. But I never saw it before. And you think, oh, yeah, that was there the whole... Every time I've seen it, that's mad. So to go back to sort of, like, uh, David Fincher, what are your favourite um, David Fincher films, other than Gone Girl? I have read all the Girl with Dragon Tattoos books before I watched the film that he made. And I watched the Swedish one as well. And I preferred Finch's version. Like, obviously, because I don't speak Swedish. And I didn't really like the casting the Swedes did as well. I think she's called Numi something. It's like, starts with an R. Uh, but I preferred that they got Rooney Mara for the Fincher version. She looked, she looked more like Lisbeth Sander than uh, Numi ever did. And... It's 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 a very dark film. It has a horrible rape scene about mid mid midway, and it was in the book as well. And it's just as jarring as it was on screen, and it was in the book. It was horrible to watch, but that was the point because apparently, um, Stieg Larsson he, he originally called it "Men Who Hate Women" in Swedish, and yes. they changed it to "Girl with Dragon Tattoo," which I thought was a bad move. It is about men who hate women like as you saw the film progresses it's people who just abuse women for no reason than just being horrible men see i um i'm really late to the party on um on on this series of books and the the films i haven't actually read or seen them they've always Mm. been on my list um but essentially is it um like a revenge film yeah basically 
but it also it, it's also because Daniel Craig's character he's doing his own thing and he ends up like recruiting Elizabeth for his thing but she's got like she's got her own story happening in the background and it sort of links up to what Daniel Craig's doing uh, later on in the movie and it's literally about how it's like a revenge on sexual abuse victims basically they they get their revenge in the, in the end and Elizabeth helps the victim that Daniel Craig's helping in, in the end and she gets like to help her and yeah it's like Men Who Hate Women it's a very good title and they should have stuck to it So how does that link in with the one they released last year with Claire Foyen? Was it the girl I haven't it, watched it Was it called The Girl Who something about Spider's Nest Spider's Web yeah. The girl who kicked the hornet's nest. No, that's yeah. the other... Because there's, isn't there three of them, isn't there's there? There's three of them, and then the guy died literally as they got famous, and then some other dude wrote, like, more. I haven't read that one because I don't want to insult Steve Larson's uh, legacy. Um, but, yeah, I haven't watched the Claire Foy one, and just looking at it, she didn't look like Elizabeth to me, so Elizabeth's a very punk, and that's what Fincher-y nailed Rooney Mara's interpretation. Like, she doesn't look like... She's like, oh, she's pretty, but she's still, you know, edgy. Like, she is very edgy. Like, he, she loses, like, Rooney Mara, so incredibly beautiful woman. And you, you don't see Rooney Mara when, she, when she's in that film. You see Elizabeth. How come they never ended up making the other two? Was it just... Uh, I don't know. Uh, the, the Swedish people did. And I watched the second one, and I, didn't quite, I still didn't like it. But um, I think Finch just never got really around to it. Because he did, he he had, he had that amazing cover of Led Zeppelin at the start. I think like he really begged them because Led Zeppelin never really lets people use their songs, and he managed to get it for the intro sequence, which is genuinely amazing. If you ever end up watching it, um, but yeah, I I don't know why he didn't make it the next two. Maybe he got busy. It must have been contracts. Probably, yeah. yeah. See, Fincher, I I really like his visual style, even though um, he simultaneously pioneered and oversaturated um, the 2000s film um, market with um, just the, the blue colour mm. palette, just the blue hue that you yeah. get in every single war film with a blue-brown. Um, but he uses it in, in such a way that makes it just add so much ambience. And as you were saying, um, the main character of, of this film, she she's punk. Mm. And I think... Fincher nails the like punk aesthetic or punk emo aesthetic. I know it sounds really um, <laughs> really silly, but he does because if you look at um, Fight Club or Seven, he very much nails that dark, edgy look. And fun fact about Fincher that I love telling people is that um, all the blood in his films is CGI. That does make sense. There is a lot of blood. Yeah, and essentially he just believes that why bother with the mess of having to set up the blood and clean yeah. it all up if you can just reshoot the scene a couple times get the scene you want move on and then just add in post yeah. have either of you two um seen his netflix series mindhunter uh yes bloody love mindhunter it's <laughs> so it. much it's very um stylistic it's very similar to um zodiac yes mm. which i was kind of lukewarm about it is a brilliant film but i think he nailed it himself in interviews and he speaks about it now when he said like it's one thing to get people to watch a three-hour-long film about a serial killer, but it's another thing to try and get them to watch that when, at the end, you don't know who it... You don't even... It doesn't get resolved. Mm. Yeah. And I think that sort of nails the real big issue with it, is that, like, it is really... It's not the most rewarding of watches, because it is very entertaining throughout, but it really leaves you, like, kind of like... Yeah, it doesn't kind of satisfy any kind of... 
your feelings about the whole case and stuff, which is perhaps a weird argument, but I don't know. I just didn't... I don't think it's as good as something like Seven or uh, The Social Network. I think it's one of his weaker films. Yeah, I, I think mm. Fincher very much understands audiences. He understands that people want to watch a film, people want closure. He understands the arcs of storytelling very well. Um, so the fact that he says that about Zodiac shows that he knows that he made something that went against the norm, and that's totally fine. It wasn't going to yeah. fit everybody's taste. So very smart comment by him. But just to sort of um, to sort of uh, add something more to that slightly, just um, as a, as a sort of as a piece of cinema, it is still incredible. Mm. Like there's the 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 work that he puts into films in terms of cinematography and stuff is he does have and also to be fair he does have the incredible knack to make even stuff that should seem banal like the um depositions in the social network mm. it with a, a lesser director could make that become a painful experience for the audience watching but i think actually they're incredibly engaging which was also part of the cast as well like um uh, army hammer is excellent on the social network and as is um uh, andrew garfield and mm. um Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. There's yes. also I saw a fantastic tweet yesterday about um, about the social network, and it's at the beginning when the girl is having a go at him and saying, P "Girls aren't going to like you because you're going to think girls won't like you because you're a nerd." That's not true. They won't like you because you're. And then adds a load of expletives. And I saw something yesterday that was saying like, even as a film that is completely fictional, that is probably what Mark Zuckerberg has suddenly realised recently, because <laughs> people can't stand him. He is genuinely an awful man. He, he, he irritates me so much. See, thinking about being irritated and awfulness, um, we're now going to take a swing to the other side mm. and thinking of uh, what are your least favourite films, actors, genres, directors? Um, so as someone who grew up with the Avatar Last Airbender TV series, I it's been ten years now and I'm still incredibly angry about uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender film. Oh, I could go on about for hours and <laughs> use a lot of rude words that I'm not allowed to use, apparently. But it really is just such an awful film. Like, he just made it because the kids liked it and he didn't even understand. He didn't bother watching the series to make it. He's like, oh, I'll just watch a Wikipedia summary and, like, oh, I'll stick Dev Patel in it. I don't know why. It's probably the lowest point in Dev Patel's career. <laughs> I just, it really does irritate me. Also, he whitewashed it, which is very strange. He's an Indian man. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan, I absolutely cannot stand. Mm -hmm. I just can't stand his films. And, and, I, and I think that, yeah, Last Airbender is probably the most insulting one. Because at least it's not his... All his other films, at least you can kind of say, well, it's him yeah. thinking he's clever. Yeah. This one is him going, ah, yes, I'm going to take source material and be clever with it. And that's just kind of insulting to a source material that's honestly brilliant and still yes. holds up today oh my god it's genuinely one of the most amazing series i watch like the stuff that my brother's like he's eight years old and he watches horrible Fortnite videos but i still like try and like push him towards the stuff i used to watch when i was younger and it's just still genuinely amazing he watches i think god what's it called adventure time which is is quite good to be fair but it's not quite the same as the avatar last airbender yeah which the... is you cry i cried watching that it was incredibly emotionally well written. I okay. could never get into it when I was a kid. I can't lie. I, I just well, didn't connect with me for some reason. I, 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 fair, think about it now. I, 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 I'm very sketchy on like, the plot details and stuff, but I just couldn't seem to get into it, I don't think. I mean, the plot details are pretty much 
kind of straightforward. It's exactly. four warring factions, but this kid's basically the chosen one, and he's on a journey to stop the Fire Nation to the big baddies. That's basically. Mm. Well, I'm going to make you watch it. it. It's going to happen. <laughs> See, I need to I need to watch it all the way too because as a kid, there were a lot of shows that I remember watching, mm. but I never actually watched the whole thing. I just watch a handful of episodes like whenever it was on the telly and be like yeah. ah yes I think this is earlier in the show because I don't know who this person is but yeah. I saw them in the other episode so maybe I don't know so yeah it was it um, weird amazing. it but, was my little intro to pirating <laughs> TV because it was never on consistently and I loved it so much I wanted to watch it all the way through and yeah I, I got a lot of viruses on my dad's laptop <laughs> what, what was your um platform of choice to download i don't know i just did a lot of googling and little 10 year old me was like okay this seems legit dot exe yeah i literally have no idea what i used i can still like see the website in like back of my mind but it was just like a black like all black it was very like old school like it was like like the 90s sort of like black and yellow text yeah it was one of those and (laughs) yeah it had all four seasons on it and i watched all of it four three not sure how many seasons uh, actually three yeah it must be three i think yeah because three because there's three elements and obviously the air is not really present because they're all dead so we'll um, avoid recommending um pirating services on the podcast and move on <laughs> um one of the most interesting things you wrote down on the form here for one of your least favorite things and we talked about this a bit before we came on air was uh people who shouldn't be actors oh uh, i okay cara delvin beautiful excellent model you know cool eyebrows seems like a nice person shouldn't be acting she is in so many things now like it started off with suicide squad which i think she ruined it was already not very good and she just ruined it uh but now she's like in some amazon prime series called like carnival row or something carnival row looks so generic i keep getting ads for it on prime and i'm like this is literally what it says on Tim by the looks of it, it's like, ah, oh, yes, do you want to see Cara Delevingne and Orlando Bloom in a steampunk universe? No. I mean, that's it. And I'm like, no, no, thank you. No. I'm out. She's also in the um, Luc Besson thing. It was um, yeah. Valera in the City of a Thousand yeah. Plants, which yeah. one of the interesting facts about that film, because it costs an absolute bomb to make, that film is technically classed as the most expensive indie film ever made because it w- did, it wasn't funded by studios. It was funded privately. Hmm. So yeah, it's technically, even though it was given a wide release and shouldn't really be counted as an indie film, it is the most expensive indie film ever made. It did look terrible though. That's fascinating. Also had the guy who's in, um, what's the, is he called Dane something? He's yeah. From This guy plays the Green Goblin in the Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh. Daniel Dehan. De- 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 Dane De- Dehan or something. Something Dane? like that. Yeah. It's two Ds, which I, that's, I remember that. But yeah, I think uh, my pick for an actor that oh, should... Oh yeah, there he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a weird face. Yeah, my pick for an actor who shouldn't be an actor is uh, unquestionably um, Joel Kinnaman. Okay. I'm trying to remember. Is, is he in Suicide Squad as He's well? also in Suicide Squad, he yeah. He plays that army dude. Yeah, he plays Rick Flagg. God. And as much as, as much as, and I, I've said this, I've said this before. I think I said it on the podcast last year. As much as, I, I, if, he, if he ever listens to this, which I'm sure he won't, <laughs> I don't believe he's a bad person. I think he's a, genuinely. I imagine he's a very nice man in real life, but he is consistently awful in every film he's in. Mm. The RoboCop film, he is bad in that. Suicide Squad, he is bad in that. House of Cards, bad in that. Is he in that? Yes, he is. Um, in like the. 
near the end, it's the guy oh. who's competing against him to be present, competing okay. against. I haven't the... got quite that far because uh, by the time I got to the maybe season three, all the Kevin Spacey stuff came out. I'm like, mm, I don't feel comfortable watching this anymore. <laughs> yeah, it really ru- that kind of stuff really ruins it, especially given given his character. It makes the difference between him and his character become very very sketchy. Yeah. So who, who, who is your pick for um an actor who shouldn't be an actor? Oh, think of an actor who shouldn't be an actor. Well, we it was one um. You guys mentioned earlier, and I I agree with um, it, uh, the Rock. Yeah, it's a hot take, but I mean the Rock. He, his films just aren't. They're just good. Blair, basically, yeah. that's all you can describe. Like he's not like terrible. You're not watching. Oh God, he's he can't do this. It's just like it's happening, and you accept it, and you then they move on. See the the contrast to the Rock is um, Dave Bautista, mm. um, who. Used, also used to be in WWE and um, I read an interview with Bautista and he was talking about the struggle of becoming an actor from being a wrestler mm. and specifically someone who's so has such a distinctive physique because both of them are huge burly men and he was saying that there, there's something um, difficult about being typecast as the henchman or mm. the big girly, uh, big burly not girly, big burly guy that breaks stuff. Um, he, it's so hard to make that transition, and um, The Rock kind of embraced that. Yeah, the, he did. The big burly guy and went for it even further to kind of um, become what's the recent one? Um, Hobbs and Shaw, um, the Fast and Furious one, where essentially it's his character in Fast and Furious, which is just Dwayne Johnson. Like yeah. he isn't really playing anyone. Mm. Whereas Dave Bautista. Um, his two roles that I, I remember most distinctively are him in Spectre, I think, where he plays... He does play a henchman, but um, but with an interesting touch to his um, appearance. Yeah. And um, he's in Blade Runner 2049, where he plays uh, essentially an ex-military um, replicant. And he in that film, he he's secluded in the middle of nowhere mm. he's got these really thin glasses and like in his huge hands he's super yeah. delicate with them and he just really embodies this character of kind of like a fallen soldier something that's always confused me that sort of, sort of I started thinking about a bit more when you mentioned this just before we came on air is how come um, The Rock has never had a genuinely serious role before because he can't do it but you'd think that someone would give him the opportunity, given the fact he's a massive name. And even someone like, even like comedians get given big, comedians get given like serious roles every now and again. And it's weird that no one's taken the chance on him to do it. Well, I think it comes down to weird contracts. Mm. And the weird fact I learned the other day is that um, Jason Statham and Dwayne The Rock Johnson have um, a clause in their contracts that say that if they are in a fight with someone, they have to um, take less hits than they dish out to make them for the very, for the very simple visual style of they are bigger and stronger. Yeah. So I haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw, but apparently, yeah, these two actors that are pitted against each other and can't hit each other more than <laughs> the other one because of their contracts, which is just absurd. So maybe it comes down to contracts. That's very fair. The so community remains fragile. <laughs> <laughs> so to stay with the theme of Hobbs and Shaw and sort of that sort of area, another thing you listed here was uh, action franchises. Yeah, uh, there's like ten Fast and Furious. I haven't watched a single one. 
and nor do I want to, and I don't understand why they keep making them. Same with Transformers, I have Mission Possible. There's just so many like franchises. They just they just keep making them. And who's watching them? I don't understand. Like who goes? Oh, let me go watch the new Fast and Furious. There's like ten of them. Who goes? Oh, they're not going to be any different than the past nine. The Venn diagram of Fast and Furious fans and FIFA um, fans is just a circle. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the audience lies. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I did. Try, I've never. I tried to watch the um, first Mark Wahlberg Transformers in the summer, mm. and it was him. It had T.J. Miller in it, and then it was yeah. just weird. I don't like him. Yeah, T.J. Miller. Both. Both. Mark Wahlberg. See, I I had the same take. I was like, Mark Wahlberg is is just a bit of a dumbass, and he can't really act. Mm. And then I watched Pain and Gain, and I was like, this film's actually really self-aware and really funny, and I will defend this to my death. <laughs> and then the other film I watched this summer, which really changed my perspective on Mark Wahlberg, is um, Boogie Nights. I? Um, mm. Boogie Nights is by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm. And the the more you learn about Paul Thomas Anderson, the, the kind of... The, the more insane this film seems and the kind of like, this is brilliant. So essentially, it's a film about... Um, uh, guy who gets drawn into the porn industry he becomes a porn star and it's basically the rise and fall of a male porn star oh. and it's Mark Wahlberg he plays um, Dirk Diggler I think is a name the thing is the whole film has depictions of um, uh, losing you know losing your family and then m- making a new family mm. and uh, ego and drugs and all these really heavy themes and Paul Thomas Anderson was um, 26 when he wrote and directed this oh god I feel very underaccomplished yeah it's <laughs> insanely complex and deep for a guy who was 26 at the time mm. um, but yes Mark Wahlberg brilliant in that film and might change your opinion of him I will definitely check it out because I've never really thought about how male porn stars age they just keep going, don't they? Absolutely no idea. I mean, this one is an arc that takes... I think it only goes over five years. So it's like a very... kind of oh, like okay. a, a, You know, um, um, the, the stars that burn the bri- uh, brightest, burn the shortest, or something like that. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the expression, the, hmm. how the expression goes. Yeah. But basically it's that, that it's kind of this crazy whirlwind career that lasts about five years. I'll definitely have a look for it at some point. Do you have any feelings about like kind of like older action franchises like Die Hard or like Lethal Weapon or anything? Have you ever seen that? I haven't watched any of them. The, my only experience with Lethal Weapon and Die Hard is like their references in modern media, like Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Basically, <laughs> haven't watched Die Hard ever, but I know so much about it just through Jake Peralta. And <laughs> yeah. then Lethal Weapon, it's always sunny. How they keep remaking it. Don't know what happens in it. All I know is very strange but it's, they just keep making it weirder so at this point if I did watch the original Lethal Weapon it would be unrecognisable to me have you ever watched the um, Always Sunny where it's the gang make the gang makes Lethal Weapon sex <laughs> no it's oh my god it's the best amazing. one what season is it from oh god uh, it's a fairly is, is, uh, I think we'll say midway through yeah okay. kind of I, seven, eight, six, seven, eight. Oh, because I've seen about four seasons of the show so yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's probably like the the high point of the series is like probably like that six, seven, eight period is probably the high point of Always Sunny. And oh, that episode in that, and it's, oh, it's, so, it's probably it's probably my favourite episode. It's the best example of blackface I can actually think of because the people in this Always Sunny, they're just such awful people and you know everything you do shouldn't be repeated. And I think it's Mac and Dee that do blackface in it. 
and it, it's like it's very it's, it's so awful but they actually it. pull it off because like you know they shouldn't be doing it and it just it just fits in with their personalities and sort of like makes blackface worse like you know you, sh- you know you shouldn't be doing it if they're it's doing bad, it it's bad but it can be worse yeah there's also oh. a bit about halfway through when they die. I, won't, I won't spoil what happens because it's probably one of the funniest things that happens in Always Sunny but there's a bit where where they, something happens and it sort of makes the blackface so ridiculous that it's so self-aware of them going why are we doing this is such a ridiculous thing to do we shouldn't be doing this oh, no. it's fantastic and I, I urge like even if you haven't seen even if you can't if you're not up, de- up to date to it the episode doesn't spoil anything about the, any of the plots or anything no. so you can literally just watch that episode alone and then just go back to season 2 again I'll but check I, it out I highly recommend it I'll amazing. check it out because I, I do love a bit of It's Always Sunny um, think of Die Hard um, Die Hard 1 is it's, it's, it's a bit of fun it's actually yeah. not not a bad film um, definitely holds up and is a Christmas film um, because isn't it Shane Black that wrote and directed it that's Predator that's Predator he was in the first Predator wrote, did some rewrites on set and then ended up directing the pred- the most recent one it is by um, John McTiernan who did the first Predator there we go that's that's the link I remember good for Shane Black <laughs> he also did Iron Man 3 didn't he uh, oh my god he did right, yeah, yeah. See, Another Shane, Christmas film, allegedly. Well, the thing it with is. Shane Black... No, Shane Black did... um, uh, You know, Lethal Weapon is Shane Black. Is it? Isn't it? Oh, yes. yes Lethal it Weapon is, yes, is Shane Black. Yes. Yeah, that's why I, I remember watching um, Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 not uh, two years ago. What I was trying to think was um, most of Shane Black's films take place at Christmas because he thinks that the magic of, magic of Christmas is kind of like a valid plot point, <laughs> which is quite I mean, funny. Yeah, fair. Yeah, there's a lot of Christmas and I meant through now I think about it. Oh, uh, it's it's not an amazing film, but it it's all right. I quite enjoyed it. I never watched Iron Man Two because I was like, this looks terrible. Is genuinely awful. Iron Man Three is a lot better than Iron Man Two. Iron Man Two, it's not worth watching really, apart from that whole story arc with Tony and his arc reactor sort of like messing up. Yeah, it's it's fair to middling. Um, Mickey Rourke doesn't do a fantastic job as Whiplash. Justin Theroux isn't that bad as I'm gonna mess it up here because he's what's the Army Hammer is the name of the guy, the actor, isn't it? Yes. The guy who is in the... The guy who basically plays the other scientist against Tony Stark in Iron Man 2 has a name that is so similar to that. But Justin, Justin Hammer. Hammer. Justin, Justin Hammer. Hammer. <laughs> yes. I mean, you're talking to, like, the, probably the only MCU nerd you know. Yeah, this podcast has a rocky relationship with the I'm MCU. Heard. Yeah. No, um... I, I do genuinely, it was such a big part of like me, like my teenage years. I just, I've watched pretty much all of them with the exception of Far From Home, which I wasn't in the country for. I sort of forgot about. But yeah, I I am big old nerd on that one. It's, I, I do accept it, but what Scorsese said about it. But it, it, it means a lot to a lot of people, hmm. including me. And I just, Tony Stark is a character very close to my heart. I do relate to him quite a lot. I'm not saying I am. Um, very incredibly smart but I do sort of see what what he's coming from with his family sort of side and struggling with not having like actual stability in his life Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah I I accept they're not amazing films but they they mean a lot to me Talking of um, sort of so films that you watched when you were younger that still mean a lot to you now another question we like to really ask people about is what films from your childhood are meaningful to you now? Mulan, like just straight off Mulan. Um, whole actually, like the whole pl- plot of Mulan, like obviously not the whole war and the Huns thing, but like 
the, the story points are quite relevant to my life. Like, she's, she's come from a very traditional Chinese family, um, whole, you know, women carry the honour of the family. That happens to me still, uh, being from a Pakistani family. And weirdly enough, my dad is also uh, disabled. And um, he had polio as a child, and Milan's father, he's unable to go fight because of his um, disability. So she sort of goes off and um, br- brings back the honour for the Far family. Um, it's, yeah, I, I was a big tomboy growing up as well, and probably still am. Um, yeah, I, I like the whole like running off to pretend to be a man, I, I was quite masculine as a child. And I, I did really relate to her, like even like, even now. I watched I've watched Mulan too as well, not as good, but um, Mulan is probably one of my all time favorite films. Probably top, yeah, second most favorite film, all time. That's a very solid pick, to be fair. Mm. Mulan is brilliant. It's amazing. It's brilliant. And I absolutely love um, just the whole seat, not just the song, but the whole sequence um, of um, "Be a Man." Oh, it's just brilliant. Uh, um, that's that was actually my like, you know on. Tinder, you can have like a little anthem you choose. Yes. That was my anthem for so long. <laughs> I'll make a man of you. I got so many puns from it. It was so funny. Oh, that's brilliant. So, is there anything else you sort of like, um, sort of anything else you find like rap? That's, I think the thing about that that's quite nice, and I think we've had a lot of people who've said similar things, is that the films they like as a child is something that they can uh, sort of representative of themselves or their mm. the, their own experiences. Are there any other films that are like that for you? Um, so, being Pakistani, uh, I watched a lot of Bollywood growing up with my family because my mum's English is not amazing, so, like, sort of as a family, watched Indian films instead. And um, there's a film called Three Idiots, and it's by this guy called Amir Khan, and he's like a really big Bollywood actor. Which he's, he's, he'd be he'd be well known to pretty much anyone who's brown, because there's such a big diaspora of us in the world. And it's about like, these three friends, and they're in this engineering uni together in India. And it's like academic pressures and how like their family want them to be engineers, but none of them actually want to be engineers. And then he sort of falls in love with the the dean dean of the college's daughter who got pushed into medicine because medicine for girls, engineering is for boys, and um, they both like hate it. And it's just genuinely, it's such a it's such a good film. I might make you watch it actually because on Netflix. And actually, there was a the Mexicans made a remake of it a few years ago, which I was quite confused about, because. I mean, I don't know anyone Mexican personally, but I don't think they have the same sort of like family economic pressure than South Asian people do. Yeah, no, in Latin America we don't we don't really have that level of pressure to the same level as, as um yeah, mm. South Asian families yeah. have. So yeah, we weird for them to remake them. Yeah, weird that choice. didn't do very well. I look I was looking at the Rotten Tomatoes for it this morning. It was like maybe forty percent and the original's ninety five. There you go. That that says it all. Yeah, basically. Um, the thing with Bollywood films, I I haven't seen any, I don't think. Um, and the one I've been wanting to watch my whole life, and I still haven't got around to it, is uh, Singham. Oh, Singham is terrible. It's like it's it's like the action movies I mentioned earlier. It's like that, but like ten times worse. 
And he has this um, horrible little reprise they keep playing when he's doing something epic. And he's going, do, do, do. And he, like, sort of, like, he sort of rises up in the air and like, kicks someone in the face. Yeah. And it's genuinely, it's like you, you pretty much see the little ropes that are lifting him oh, up. Brilliant. It's, it's just so awful. I think it's um, Ajay Dev, Devgun who's playing Singham. There's actually a Netflix series called Little Singham that they made for Netflix India. Uh, it's literally just him as a child. I'm not sure how that works because he's like a very brutal policeman. <laughs> what? Yeah, it makes zero sense. Oh. For, uh, you've probably seen clips of Singham. If you've ever seen, you, there was the one YouTube video that went around that was um, that um, Bollywood Indiana Jones or whatever, where basically he's kind of dressed like Indiana Jones in yeah. a way, like the, the, the um, beige shirts and mm. chinos. And he he's like in a Jeep and he drifts it and steps out of the jeep as it keeps drifting away. Yeah. He grabs a lamppost, rips it out of the ground, and then just takes out all these bad guys. And it's like <sighs> physics applies to everyone at their most extreme form. So yeah. objects hit them at five times the force they should. But to Singham, it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. Physics just do not apply to him. So I'm assuming you want to watch it for ironic reasons. Oh, oh yeah, of course. It's terrible. It's genuinely terrible. My family was like, oh, this new film just came out. Do you want to watch him? Like, yeah, sure. And we had like a little family Bollywood night that we sort of had every week back then. And they put it on, and I'm like, why have you done this to me? <laughs> this is awful. Is it effectively Pakistan's answer to the room? Well, it's not Pakistani, actually, Josh. That's racism. It's Indian. <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 I apologise. Is it India's answer to the room? Um, no. I don't know, because a lot of Indian films are actually like that. Uh, seriously, like, the room is, like, sort of reviled, like, oh, yeah, it's just so terrible. But, like, there are other films that are, like, just as bad. But, yeah. Well, I think it comes down to um, um, how each uh, culture sees film or mm. sees each version of storytelling. So you say that the UK likes gritty uh, detective dramas yeah. and very much very, very sarcastic, tongue-in-cheek, look-at-us-we're-so-silly comedy. Yeah. Whereas America would probably like more rom-coms and slapstick comedy mm. and action that it's like takes itself very seriously yeah. and is very much grounded within reality, quote-unquote, because, I mean, as we were saying, Fast and Furious, unrealistic, but, you know, they do try to keep this look where it, they try to keep the suspension of disbelief where it's like, maybe this could potentially happen yeah but Bollywood I think has that um, when it comes to action has that ideal of um, people come to expect this kind of storytelling that's over the top and absurd and I think the whole point of it being on in the whole point of cinema in mm. Bollywood is that it's unrealistic because this medium allows us to go crazy with it yeah definitely like as or probably the most famous aspect of Bollywood is the musical dance numbers that yes. in every single film. They're actually in Singham as well because they can't seem to make a mainstream film without having dance numbers, which, which is why I never really got into Bollywood because I just it just irritated me so much. Oh, it's a really sad scene happening. Oh, let's have like a big song and dance. <laughs> And it just annoyed me so much. <laughs> but my mum loved it. She played the music all the time. It was like sort of like her cleaning music. She put on, um, I think, BBC Asian Network. And then they would play the songs at a certain hour. And then she put that on while she cleaned. Oh, my God. Yeah, but like, 
that's why I never really like liked Bollywood. My favorite Bollywood films have like very few song and dance numbers. They had to do them because of the general public probably riot if they didn't. But um, yeah, some of them are quite iconic songs as well. But uh, that just doesn't make any sense in the film. So th just think about the fact that you say that you don't um, enjoy the musical number and how kind of you don't really like the Bollywood part of Bollywood sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There is a film festival that goes on, film festival themed festival ish, that happens every year at uh, home. That, is it every year or is it just every now and then? Or is it just this it, year? I believe it's every year. Must be every year, yeah. Home here in Manchester have a thing called the Not Just Bollywood. Okay. Where the whole point is to bring films from um, Southeast Asia and go, oh, sorry, South, South Asia in general and kind of going, this whole industry doesn't just produce films with silly yeah. musical numbers in the middle of sad scenes like there there is so much more to this yeah so if you have, have you checked them out that um i haven't seen that festival before but there are a few films that i do like that are made by like indian producers that um don't have that so they're, they're like moved away from it it's becoming more and more prominent recently um i watched this film called queen and i think it's on netflix so go check that out if you can and um it's about this woman she's literally like she's getting her henna done she's literally about to get married and then her fiance calls her it's like i don't want to do this anymore and then she goes on her european honeymoon by herself she goes to paris and amsterdam and she does it all by herself and it's like there's no song and dance it, it has like you know songs playing during like certain scenes but that's basically it and she sort of, sort of like finds herself basically she like goes to a hostel in Amsterdam and make, make friend, makes friends with these like three like random people from all across the world. Um, she has a first kiss with some random Italian chef, and she shows him how to make um bani buri, and like because um he gave her some like weird potato dish, and she's like, oh, there's no spice in this, and like showed him how to make make something else, and he loved it so much. He had like a little romantic moment, and then her fiance comes and like. Not to, might be slightly ruining it, but um, he comes like, oh, I, I've changed my mind. Like, I want to take you back. I made a mistake, and she goes, basically, I'm, I'm over this. <laughs> I'm I my found own myself. Woman. <laughs> uh, she goes back to India as a, like a, you know, a whole new person. And it's just an amazing that film. So, that sounds genuinely charming. Is the is the one so word good. I think of it. Um, I want to yeah. check that out. Yeah, it's, it's genuinely really good. Uh, she meets this um, girl in Paris who's like half French, half Indian. And it's really funny scenes when she's Skyping her family and, like, her friend sort of turns up, like, you know, pretty revealing clothing. She'll leans down. And then her dad and her brother are like, where's your friend? Where's your friend? Like, oh, I really... Oh, your friend was so lovely. You know, wh where is she? I want to talk to her. <laughs> and and she'll turns up and, like, she'll leans down. You see a lot. And she's like, oh, how are you? And just completely ignore their daughter. Another thing you put on the list of um, childhood films that meant a lot to you that's really confused me now is you wrote Godzilla and I've spent the entire morning trying to work <laughs> out which one you mean. I don't know which one I mean, but but it's it's a very, like, it's from when I was like maybe three or four years old. We had a VHS player and we maybe owned three or four cassettes and one of them was Godzilla. I could not tell you which Godzilla it was. I'm going to say the 90s because this fits into the time frame. And I used to watch that pretty much every other day, my mum tells me. And um, I don't know where it's gone. I don't know where VHS player's gone, honestly. But, uh, I, yeah, my mum tells me I used to watch it every other day. And I have no idea why. I don't remember watching it. 
but apparently was obsessed with it as a child. Same with Doctor Doolittle, but number two because that's the only one we had on VHS. Oh, classic! When you have the VHS that doesn't <laughs> correspond to the order of the series, you're kind of oh, like, yeah, yeah. I, I know of the third instalment of all this. Yeah, basically. Oh, that, yeah. Was it set in New York? <sighs> I think so. Then it was probably Godzilla 1998 by Roland Emmerich, starring Matthew Broderick, Jean Reno, Maria Patillo, and Hank Azaria. Hank Azaria? That's yes. a bold choice. He was in low stuff in the 90s, though. Mm, like, he true. was still, like, um, it's weird, actually, when you watch it. I don't know if you've noticed this, having rewatched Friends, that every single of the principal voice cast of The Simpsons appears in one form or another in, like, the first three or four series of Friends. That's very really? So the guy who tries to buy the monkey is one of them. The guy in the zoo is a different one. Obviously, um, the scientist is Hank Azaria, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. it is, because it's my favourite Phoebe love interest. Yeah. That's that's actually so niche. Yeah. Mm. But there, there are a lot of moments where um, I've, I, I, I'm watching Friends and I go, ah, yes. I am too young for this. <laughs> when someone comes on, the, the live studio audience goes crazy. I'm like, yeah, yes, she, Jesus, a person, she's a woman, must she's be. really famous. Yeah, yeah she's famous apparently. I think it's when uh, Chandler gets trapped in the ATM sort of thing. It's like some sort of famous model, and like I recognise her name, but like obviously she doesn't look what she, she does now. But oh yeah, she's famous. I think. <laughs> I think. That's the one where you're like, maybe? That's yeah. like the third episode, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. But no, I remember watching it, and I, I think at the time, obviously, everyone in the audience goes mental, and obviously mm. uh, Ross and uh, Joey are saying, oh, I can't believe you're stuck in there with her. I was like, who is she? <laughs> she could be anyone. <laughs> it's not like, oh, it's, it's like if they said, oh, I'm stuck in an ATM vestibule with Scarlett Johansson, you'd be like, yes, I can see why you'd want to be stuck in there with her. I but, don't but like this, her. should be relevant within... 20 years. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the real question. But yeah, no, that is pretty weird. But yeah, I think that's pretty much all we have time for today. Ooh. So thank you very much for coming on. Is there anything you'd like to promote? Not really. I do nothing in my life. Fair enough. Well, well let's remind the, the good people of <laughs> <laughs> the Films of Friends fandom um, what's the code they can quote? Double Friends 10. And if you see a very stressed looking Asian girl working at Typo, just let her know and she'll get you something. There we go. Wait, you can't. Wait, does this mean this is technically our first episode with a sponsor? We're not being paid no. for this, though. That's the problem. Absolutely this episode not. is not brought to you by Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> or Typo. Or Typo. Yes, please oh, do look, not sue I'm us. I'm going to get fired over this. <laughs> oh, I really hope not. We will, we will defend you. Thank you. <laughs> so you can find me on Twitter at Josh Sandy and on Instagram at Josh W Sandy. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Tobias Soar. And also go and donate to his Movember thing because yes. it's looking. And you can't see this from from what I can see in the studio right now, but it's 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 looking pretty fly. Thank yeah. you. It's see, doing, you're doing well. Thank you. I've had a couple of people come come with my friends come up to me like you your beard's looking all right. I'm thinking you know what for someone who two years ago. <laughs> Couldn't grow anything, and for the first time, I've let my hair grow for longer than seven days. I've never, yeah, I always that was the longest I've gone without shaving before this. I am very proud of myself, so and thank you. The link is in the Instagram bio. Thank yes. you very much for listening, and we will be back next week. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.